How's everybody doing this afternoon? You guys enjoying the conference so far? Yeah, awesome. Uh, well, you are in for a treat. Uh, really glad that everybody's able to get lunch. Hope you enjoyed a good free Panera lunch when you paid for it. Um, but, uh, but it was sponsored. And so, um, but, but you're in for a treat for this afternoon. And uh, I'm, I'm really pleased and honored to be able just to introduce somebody that I really believe is going to impact us and, and help us to really take some helpful information and, and wisdom uh, back to our churches to help shape our ministries in a greater way. Uh, but you're going to hear today from uh, Mike Clear, who serves as the Executive Director of Children's Strategy at the Rethink Group. I'm reading from my phone because he has a great bio, and I want to make sure I get the good information out there. Uh, prior to that, he was one of the founding pastors of Discovery Church in uh, Simi Valley, California, where he served as the Family Ministries Director for nearly 10 years. Mike and his amazing wife, Crystal, live in Cumming, Georgia, with their two children, Nash and Kennedy. So can we give a big art conference welcome to Mike Clear. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And uh, I'm glad to be here with you guys today. And um, um, I'm excited to share with you what we're going to talk about today when it comes to helping parents win both inside and outside the church because I myself am a parent, like Edwin said, and when I go places, I like to uh, introduce my family. I know he introduced them, but I wanted to introduce them and give you a little story about my kids. This is my family right here. Um, this is my wife, Crystal, and if you didn't catch the connection to my last name, my last name is Clear. That's, that's true, ladies and gentlemen. My wife is legally crystal clear, okay? And it was one of those things, like, when we were, you know, when I proposed, I was like, you know what this means, right? Like, you know what you're getting into with this. And she was like, yep, I'm all in for everything. So it's always fun to go with her and uh, to let her pay because I want to see your ID and they get their ID. And they're like, are you for real? We're like, no, that's my fake ID. Give me that, you know, so... It's always fun to go with her. So when our kids were born, um, my son Nash, uh, as Edwin said, when he was born, you know the pressure you go through when you're choosing a name for your firstborn, right? Like the weight of that decision. You know, it's just like, oh, if we get it right, if we get it wrong, we're going to ruin his childhood. Like, it's going to be messy. And so when we were throwing out names, and it took like two weeks before we finally landed on the name Nash, but before all that, I tried to do like a whole playoff of her name, of Crystal Clear, because I was like, honey, like that's gold. Like that sells everywhere. Like, like people will love that. So what if we continue the tradition? And I said, what would you consider, please, the name Loudon, right? Loudon Clear? Like I thought, I thought that was a real mature, you know, offer of a name there. And unfortunately, maturity went out that evening and we went with Nash. Uh, so when my daughter was born, because I'm stubborn, and I thought, you know what, I need to try this again because I'm telling you, this could work, this could be a thing, and when we were throwing out names for Kennedy, I humbly proposed, and I said, what about the name Brighton? Think about it. Because I said, when we go to functions and social gatherings, we could introduce ourselves and we could say, hi, we're the Clear family. This is Crystal Clear, this is Loudon Clear, this is Brighton Clear, and I'm Mike. Be like the gift that keeps on giving <laughs> but it wasn't so um so that's my family and like edwin said um i am the executive director of children's strategy for the rethink group for orange and i get to work um, with some amazing creative people 
um, who help shape and form our curriculums for our preschool and elementary divisions. Before that, helped plant a church, and before um, I planted the church, I was in student ministries for over a decade. So collectively, it's like around 20 years of ministry, right? And if you're here in the room today and you're over 40, let me talk to you for a second. Do you ever talk to yourself? Do you do that sometimes? I do, all right? Whether you're 40 or 20 doesn't matter, okay? But I'm telling you, when you hit 40, you begin to get like perspective behind you, and I often like to like look back and do some, ask myself some questions to be like, you know what, if I could go back, I'm 43 years old, so if I could go back to the 23-year-old version of myself, I often wonder, what would I change? What would you do differently? And if I could go back to the 23-year-old version of myself, the thing that I would change is that I would change the way that I thought about parents. Because if I'm honest with you tonight, I would tell you this, at 23, year old, 23 years old, I did not believe the best about parents. And maybe you're here today, and maybe you would say, you know what? I'm not sure I believe the best about parents because we can make a compelling case about why we should not believe the best about parents because they're never on time, right? <laughs> they never pick their kids up on time. They never read your emails that you spend a lot of time trying to say, I'm trying to tell you really important things that you need to know that's going to help your experience at our church. Please read the emails. And they don't. They delete them. Right? They don't volunteer for the things that you really need help for. They prioritize sports over ministry. And my guess is you probably even have some parents who don't even know their kids are coming to your church. Yeah. So, if I could go back to 23 years old, I would change the way that I thought about parents. And I would also tell the 23-year-old version of myself a couple of things. Number one, I would tell him this. I would say, you don't have to like parents, and you don't even have to agree with parents for them to have more influence than you. I assure you, friends, no one, and I mean no one, has more potential to influence the life of a child than their parent. It is simple math. When you look at the attendance patterns of churches all across the country, I would say on average, you guys here as a church, you have about 40 hours in a given year with a child to say everything that you want to say to them about God, Jesus, faith, the Holy Spirit, you name it, whatever it is, you have about 40 hours in a given year. You could increase that number if you wanted to add more programming. You could add a Sunday evening programming, right? And bump it up to 80 hours. You can add a midweek programming and bump it up to 120 hours. You will kill your staff and volunteers along the way. Just want a side note there, okay? <laughs> But even if you took it to 200 hours and you just like, we're full-on programming church. That's the name of our church, Programming Church, right? Because we're going to do everything we can to influence the next generation. And I'm telling you, look, whatever your number is, 40, 80, 120, whatever, do whatever you have to do with those hours to make the most of Jesus to this next generation, okay? Utilize your time. But whatever it is, I promise you, it pales in comparison to the number of hours that parents have with their kids. The average parent has 
each year around 3,000 hours of potential influence in the life of their kid. And that doesn't even count the time their kids are at school or the time that their kids are sleeping. Plain and simple, parents have more influence than you will as a leader. That's what I would have told my 23-year-old version of myself. And if I were self-aware at 23 years old, I would have began to pick up on that. Do you know why? Because I was in student ministry at that time, and I would get invited to some high school graduations, and I would go there thinking like, man, I'm so honored to be here, but yeah, I'm a big part of their world. And I would go to these high school graduations, and I would realize how small of a part of their world I really was. I was a part of it, but I was not everything that I thought I was. Their family, their parents were everything to them. And it didn't matter who the parent was. It could have been the biological parent, the adoptive parent, the foster parent, the step parent, the dad who left years ago and didn't show up for a whole lot of things, but now he's back in their life. No one has more potential to influence the life of a child than a parent. A parent's influence will outlast yours. One day you may get an invitation to a wedding to a kid who used to be in your ministry. Okay? You may even officiate the wedding, right? But you will not be the one who walks the bride down the aisle. You will not be the one who has the first dance. So for good or for bad, for better or for worse, no one has more potential to influence a child than their parent, right? The second thing I would say to the 23-year-old version of myself, I would say this. Parents actually know what you think about them. <laughs> Nothing changed my mind more about this than me becoming a parent. And when my wife and I found out we were expecting and we shared the news, with everybody, we began to receive unsolicited feedback and suggestions and advice from family and from friends and from complete strangers. And when my son Nash, when he was three years old, he was walking, but he wasn't walking confidently. He was still trying to find his legs. And so consequently, we also, you know, we had falls and tumbles and this and that. And one particular afternoon, he was walking around the living room, and he fell into the corner of the couch. And when he hit the couch, you know, his eye hit it in a way that it left some bruising around his eye. And so we took him to the doctor, you know, to make sure he was okay. Because when you're a first-time parent, you take your kids to the doctors if they call before they see you, right? So it's what you do. It's what you do. The doctor's like, he's fine. You guys are great. Don't worry about it. You didn't do anything to jack him up. We're like, okay, this is good. So we went out to eat a couple days later, and he still had some bruising. And we were in living in Southern California at the time. We were at Baja Fresh. I remember it like it was yesterday. And I was sitting here. My wife was sitting there. Nash was sitting there in his, you know, baby chair. And this sweet old lady, I think she was sweet. I don't know. She was old. So she was, walk she was walking by. And this wasn't Nash's chair because that would be dangerous. That would be a bad parent, right? He wouldn't sit this high. But she, she walked by and saw the bruising on his eye. And she stopped, and she put her hands gently on his shoulders, and she leaned into us, and she says, there's no abuse happening here, right? I was mid-bite into a burrito ultima, okay? So I was like, and all I could muster up was, 
no. <laughs> that was it. And then she walked on to go get her salsa and go enjoy her meal. That's what she did, right? In that moment, I felt so guilty as a parent. I felt like a bad parent. What I wanted to say was like, there's no abuse. Why do you think there's abuse? There's no, let me tell you, I'm a pastor. You know, it's just like, I wanted to go on this tirade, but I didn't, but I felt guilty as a parent. I felt like I was a horrible parent. And I would share with you that most parents feel guilty when it comes to the parenting because most parents assume that most people are judging them based upon the things that are not true but based upon the things that they only know about themselves right and a guilt trip never helped anybody become a better parent so here are two things that i would share with you that i fundamentally believe. You can disagree, you can argue with me, you could be wrong, but you can disagree. It's up to you, okay? I believe this about every parent, because what if, what if instead, because oftentimes, let me just say this real quick, oftentimes, we can focus so much on what parents are not doing, that we miss out on the opportunities to inspire them, to continue to keep doing the things, even the small things that may at the time seem insignificant or inconsequential, right? The small things that if they continue to do those over time can have a powerful cumulative effect. Yeah. So, two things that I believe about every parent, I would say this, is that every parent wants to be a good parent. Every parent wants to be a good parent. The reason why I say this is because I have yet to meet a mom or a dad who walks out of the hospital delivery room carrying this bundle of life and joy and looks at it and says, I can't wait to screw up your life. <laughs> I'm not saying they don't exist. I'm just saying I have yet to meet one. Yeah. And so therefore, I choose to believe that every parent wants to be a good parent. I do believe that not every parent knows how to be a good parent. But every parent, deep down inside, whether put there by God or whatever, like they look at that bundle of life and see the future. They see possibility. They see hope. They see redemption. They see like, I want to undo. I want to do something different in their life that I didn't have in my life. You know, so I, I just believe that. I believe it with all my heart. The second thing I would say is this, is that every parent can do something more. Every parent can do something more. And so again, like we said earlier, is that oftentimes we tend to focus on what parents are not doing, that we miss out on the opportunity to inspire them to keep doing the things that they are doing. So what are those things that every parent can do more? I would say it is two things. Two things that we would say is that parents win when they are more present at home and when they are more connected to a faith community. Parents win, you as a church can help parents win when they are more present at home and when they are more connected to a faith community. So how do we as churches help parents do that? Well, that's what we're here to talk about this afternoon. And I've compiled a list of six things that I think um, are important. These six things are not 
the only thing. They are not the absolute. They are not the resolute. They are not the final word on this. They are strictly intended to help get the conversation going. And here's what I will promise you. Even if you took the six things that we talk about today and you implement them in your ministry and you do them all to perfection, I promise you, you will not have 100% participation when it comes from the parents in your community. Yeah. You know that, right? Yeah. Because this is not a short fix. This is a long haul yeah. thing that we're working on here. As the old saying goes, it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. But here's what I promise you. If you decide and you say, you know what? Every parent can be a good parent. And every parent can do something more. And you decide to insert yourself and your ministry and your church into the lives of parents in your church and in your community. And you help them take their next step in their parenting journey, whatever that may be. Whether it is a big step or a small step. When you insert yourself into their lives and you help them take their next step in their parenting journey. I promise you, you will have accomplished more than you would have if you had just decided to focus on the kids. Yeah. Okay? So, let's talk about six things that we can do to help parents win. Number one is I would say connect parents to someone. Connect parents to someone. And the reason why that is so important is because parenting is lonely. Would you agree with that? If you are a parent here today, parenting can be a lonely deal. The early days of parenting when you have that newborn, especially when you have your first child and you have no idea what you are doing, you feel like you are walking around in the dark, it can be a lonely experience because you feel like you should know what you are doing and you feel like you are being judged by the people on the outside, whether it's your family or it's neighbors or it's people at church, whatever, and so it can be a lonely feeling. Parenting teenagers can even be more lonely because you're not sure who you can be open and honest with about what's really going on with your kids and in your home. So I would say to this to you as churches, leverage every opportunity that you can to get parents into community with one another. And I'm not here today to tell you exactly how to do that, but just simply to tell you that you need to figure out how to do that. Get parents in community with other parents. That can be through your traditional small group model. I don't know what that looks like for you in your context. That might be once a week, you guys have small groups or you have, you meet you know, bi-weekly, you meet for a year, you meet for infinity. I don't know how long, what your small group model is, but that might be one way to connect parents with other parents to help them feel like that they are not alone. But maybe the easier answer might be a shorter time of community. Like, for example, the church that I'm at a couple of years ago, they did a parenting series in the springtime. It was on a Tuesday night. And they said, hey, parents, from kindergarten all the way through high school, we're going to bring in some communicators, some from inside of our church, a couple of guest speakers, and we're going to talk about different issues as it relates to parenting. We're going to talk about a faith component, we're going to talk about your child's personality. We're going to bring in a local counselor. We're going to talk about financially, what it means to help support kids, you know, raise them and all that. And they had these things, and those were all beneficial. And the communicators they brought in were all great communicators. But the best part of every evening was that we sat at a round table with four other couples who had kids. Some 
with the same kids uh, age as our kids in our season of life and some with older kids. And it was refreshing for us as the parents of, we have a seven-year-old as Kennedy and Nash is 10 years old. As a seven and 10-year-old to sit across from other parents who are in the same season as we are and some parents who are a little bit further down the road than we are that we can say this is you know happening right now and we feel like this and oh we're freaking out and it was so comforting for parents who have been where we have been who have children on the other side to say i know what you're going through and i felt like this you feel like that yes yes we felt exactly like that what did you do and they were able to speak in to our lives look for opportunities to pull parents together with other parents whether it's a short-term study, a two-week, a three-week, a four-week thing. My church recently did a men's group. You can, you know, the, the parents don't have to be together. It can be a women's or a men's group. We had a five-week men's study where we got around with other men. And we talked about manly things, because that's what men do, right? And we talked about what it meant to be a husband and what it meant to be a father. And I got to, you know, hear from these other men around the table that talk about their sons and talk about their daughters and talk about the things they want for them and they're dreaming for them and talk about the, the regrets they had as children, the things that they didn't have as children they're trying to put into their children's lives. And it was just... It was just, there was something about it to be in the company of other human beings and parents to say, I'm so glad that you're here to hear this, that you hear my story, I hear your story, and we were able to talk to each other. So look for ways that you can put them in community with one another. The last thing I will say about this is that when it comes to connecting parents to someone, you need to make sure that you connect parents to someone that every parent needs to know and that person is their small group leader their child's small group leader and here's why i say that okay if no one has more potential to influence the heart and the life of a child than a parent no one has more potential to influence that parent than someone who knows their Kid. That is true of teachers. That is true of coaches. That is true of your small group leaders. The most important role that I tell every church I can that you need to put all of your energy and all of your resources toward when it comes to recruiting is you need to find the best small group leaders you can possibly find. Large group people, we can we can do a video, right? I'll take, I'll take a C player on the large group, worship leader, don't care right now, right? Host team, just say hi, right? Okay, so like, but when it comes to a small group leader, that needs to be your attention. And here's why. Because no one has more potential to influence a parent than someone who knows their kid. My son, Nash, the church we attend, his small group leader, his name is Mr. Stan. Mr. Stan has been my son's small group leader for three years now. He has spoken into my son's life, and he knows my son, and my son knows him, and he trusts him, and I trust Mr. Stan. And as parents, and we're not over actively involved with life, we're just the average family, right? And life is busy, and we get inundated with calls and texts and emails and, you know, your calendar and sports and all that. Life is busy, friends, right? And there are a lot of emails I receive that very easily just be like, delete, get to that later. I put the priority ones up top to get to you right away. And you know what cuts through the noise of a lot of 
just stuff in your life is someone who is invested in your kid. And Mr. Stan sends me, and it's an occasional, it's not all the time, but he sends me an occasional text or an occasional email, and he's like, hey, just want to check in, I know you're busy, just want to see maybe sometime you want to do coffee. You know what I would do? I don't delete that. I don't say do it later. I move it right up to the list, and I will rearrange anything in my busy schedule to schedule time for somebody who is investing yeah. in my child's yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. With my daughter Kennedy, she's first grade. She has two small group leaders, two high school students, Natalie and Northy. And my daughter thinks the world of Natalie and Northy. And I'm grateful for two girls who have chosen to give their lives to Jesus, to serve Jesus. And my little girl looks up to them and they, she has the best time with Natalie and Nordy. That I would do anything for those girls. And recently, Nordy um, sent an email because she's going on a mission trip that's coming up in our church. And she's like, hey, I'm raising some money. Don't want to bother you guys. Just, you know, if you want to give like 10 or 20 bucks, that would be appreciative. You know how to respond to Nordy? I don't say, I'll give you 10 or 20 bucks. I say, Nordy, what do you need? And I will give you whatever I can give you to get you to where you need to go because you are investing in the life of my daughter and that is beyond a price tag. So make sure that you connect parents to each other because we need each other as parents to let each other know we're not in this alone, right? But also, more importantly, connect parents to their child's small group leader. And if your system right now is that you don't have consistent leaders who are showing up with consistent kids, I would implore you to figure out how you need to change and rearrange and stop or start to do whatever you can to do that because that is where real life is happening, I promise you, okay? All right, number two, move on. Reactivate parents at every phase. Reactivate parents at every phase. When it comes to your parenting strategy, in terms of how you plan a parenting program, right? I don't even know what that means. To be honest with you, as I say it out loud, like I don't know what approach you take in your ministry to say, hey, we should probably do something for parents. Or you might be on the opposite spectrum and say, we need to do something every week for parents. Or we need to do something every month for parents. I'm not here to tell you when and how you should do that, just to kind of throw this idea out there that in the life of every parent, this graph kind of represents it. This is what happens in all of our lives, right? We have a same start day and same motivation day. In the life of my family, the fall time is when we start. Do you know why I know that's our trigger to start? Is because that's when what starts? School. school starts, that's right. That is when we start school, we start our new rhythm. This is when you go to bed now. This is when we wake up. This is what you have after school. This is what you do your homework. And we have a new family rhythm that starts every year in the fall time. And we run hard through the fall, and we start some new things, and we stop some new things, and we try some new things, and we succeed at some new things, and we fail some new things, and we're like, that was a bad idea, right? And we run hard in the fall so that when it comes into the winter here, right here, and we restart. And what's the best time to restart anything if you are ready to make the change? 
New Year's Eve, that's right, New Year's Day, whatever it may be, that we're going to start doing this as a family, we're going to stop doing this as a family, daddy's going to lose some weight, mom's going to start this, we're all going to, you know, chime in, we're going to do this together, and we start these new endeavors in the life of a family. And then we move into the springtime, and the springtime, you've got spring break, and springtime, it just always seems to be a lot longer than the fall, so maybe it really is, I don't know, I'm showing my ignorance with that right now, but... When I find myself as a parent leaning into my kids and saying, hang in there, okay, be patient, keep your eyes on the prize, focus, okay, I don't want to go to school today, I don't know about, listen, you've only got, you know, six more weeks or ten more weeks or whatever it is, I promise you it's going to be fun, blah, 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 you can do this, buddy, come on, you can do this, and so we lean in and we focus as a family and we run hard during the springtime. We ran so hard, in fact, we ran hard all year that when it comes to the summer, most families want to go on vacation, right? And they go on vacation just not because they necessarily want to see the world. They do that to get away, to unplug, so they can recharge their batteries as a family, so they can come back again, and guess what we do? We start again. And when it comes to the life of kids, Every year, though it may feel like it's the same thing every year, isn't that boring? And my answer to you as a parent would be like, no, it's not. Do you know why? Because every year is different in the life of my kids. My son's in fourth grade. What he went through in third grade was not the same issues that he did in fourth grade. There were a new set of challenges. There were new academic, you know, standing that we had to shoot for. There were new things. My daughter moved from kindergarten to first grade, and that was different too, right? My son in fourth grade went from one teacher, now he has two teachers, right? He has a homeless, so they're preparing him for middle school. So there are changes that happen in the life of every parent every year. And as churches, we have a unique opportunity to lean into parents at every phase and re-engage them because most parents worry about this. I will fear this in two years. Do you know why? Because Nash will be in middle school. Help me God right now, okay? I'm worried about it, okay? Most of the parents in your churches and in your communities are worried about the next year and the upcoming year and the things that they're going to face in school. And maybe at that fifth and sixth grade year, it's also time to have a certain conversation, right? It's like it's all these things that are happening and they are worrying. So as churches, we could not reinvent the wheel here. Instead, lean into the wheel that is already happening and move parents from worrying to anticipation and preparation for what's coming up this year. That's good. So, what does that mean? I don't know exactly, because again, you know your context better than I do. But here is a couple of suggestions. In the fall time, when you start school, the best thing that my school does is that they have what is called, what? Back to school bash, an open house, whatever the name is, the concept is the same. Come to the school, because maybe this is your first time. You're moving from preschool into elementary school now in kindergarten. Or you've been in the kindergarten first grade section of the school now, and now you have to move to a whole other section of the building because this is where the third and fourth and fifth graders hang out. At our school, we have two different playgrounds. One for kindergarten, first grade, second grade, another one for third, fourth, and fifth. There are changes physically. So the school says, come on, parents, 
and bring your kids because we want you to walk around to observe the school, to go into the classroom, to see who they're gonna be, and we want you to meet somebody who's gonna be really important in your life, and that's gonna be their teacher, right? So that when the first day of school rolls around, they feel a bit more comfortable. They're still not completely comfortable, right? Because they're kids, we get that, right? And I thought about, as a church, we should be doing this. Yeah. Yeah. That, Hey, parents, whether it's, you know, on a Sunday morning after service or on another night or another afternoon, and we'll have some snacks because the school snacks are, sheesh, you kidding me, right? Like, listen, we can do better than that, friends, right? We'll give you some snacks, bring your kids, because if you're moving from this preschool area of your ministry, your elementary might be in a completely different part. It might be upstairs, right? You think parents know that intuitively? They don't. Kids might be afraid to go into the elementary area. Oh, yeah. Elementary kids will be afraid to go into the middle school area, right? Middle school to high school and all that, all those transitions that you're thinking about. What if we said, come on, come and join us, kick the tires, see everything, and most importantly, what we talked about at the last point. Parents, I wanna introduce you. This is gonna be your small group leader. This is gonna be the guy, this is gonna be the gal who's going to be with your child for this upcoming year. And uh, we just want you to meet. In fact, we want you, if they're comfortable, to have their email, to have their phone number, so that if anything happens, we want you to know that this person right here is here for you no matter what you need. Maybe you could have an open house to help kickstart your year. When it comes to the winter time, maybe that's a time where you could do Again, like the parenting small group study that we talked about, whether that's a church-wide thing or maybe that's you doing a special thing where you just pull parents together for a week or two or three and say, hey, we're going to talk about some issues that I know we're all going through as we're working through these. Or maybe it's at the beginning of the year afterwards to say, hey, what a great time to restart. What a great time to rededicate to what we're all about here at this church. And this is our mission. And this is what we want for you parents. We're going to talk about that. Maybe the pastor does a, a parenting series, you know, in Sunday morning messaging and maybe in the summertime you think about your events in a different way of how can we help the family not demand another night out of them because they're moving 100 miles an hour. How can when we do what we do, whatever we do for, for families, how can this help recharge them? So again, not a specific answer to say go do this, but to think about your year in this way. Okay? Hopefully that makes sense. Number three, we would say, is to cue parents weekly. When it comes to communication, I would say communicate often, right? When it comes to parents. You could even think, if we would go back to this for a second, you could think about your communication in this cycle as well, right? Every year has a cycle. Every week has a cycle. Every day has a cycle. And so as churches, you don't want to flood parents with information because if you flood them with too much information, it becomes white noise and they ignore all of it. When it comes to your communication weekly, think about what are the most relevant things that we could communicate to parents, knowing that we only have maybe a shot or two or three to tell parents 
some relevant things. What is it that we want to tell them? Just don't send out stuff just to send out stuff so you can check it off your list and say, I sent out stuff, all right? You want to send out stuff that is intentional. You want to send out stuff that is purposeful. So think about, as a team, what are the relevant things, based upon what we talked about this Sunday, that we want parents to know. And then also think about the repetition in which you do them. Repeating those things throughout the week. I mean, think about the rhythm. This is the rhythm of a year. What is the rhythm of a week? Monday? How many of you guys like Mondays? You love Mondays. A few of you do, right? My guess would be half of this room like, bring on the week. I love Mondays. It's a chance to kick the teeth and go and charge, right? And the other half of you are like, ah, it's Mondays. And guess what? Your parents are thinking when it comes to Mondays. The exact same thing, right? Uh, this week we have this at school and I have this at work and we have this afterwards and oh it's going to be a crazy week or they have some parents who are like I can't wait for this week I cannot wait for this week it's going to be an awesome week right midweek Wednesday hump day parents are like is it Friday yet like they're thinking this right kids are thinking this and then we head into the weekend to say oh what are we going to do this weekend what are we going to watch this weekend what are we going to talk about this weekend so you have that natural rhythm happening in the week and then guess what happens through every day. We're all different here. We come from different places. We serve at different churches, but we share the same common day of what happens every day. You know what happens every day? We start the day by what? Waking up, right? Morning time. We all have a morning time ritual. Whether you pop out of bed or you hit the snooze button 45 times, we all have a morning ritual, right? Every parent also has a drive time. They drive their kids to school. They drive their kids to practice. They drive their kids to errands that they do together as a family. They also have a meal time, where that meal time is together around the dinner table, or that meal time is in the car with McDonald's. That meal time is in the microwave, whatever it may be. Every parent has a meal time with their family, and then they also have a bedtime, right? And where the parents intentionally take their kids to sleep and put them to sleep and pour into their kids' lives during this time, or where they just tell them, go to bed, that's your bedtime, right? Every parent has those four times in a day. And every parent has a cycle in a week. And so, as a church, I would just implore you to think about what are the things that we could say at strategic times throughout the week. Not every day, and not three times a day. Please, God, don't do that. All right? <laughs> I would just say, what if on a Monday morning, for a morning time, we could send a text, we could send an email, we could put something on our Facebook group, our Instagram page, whatever it may be, how you communicate a physical piece that goes home on Sunday to say, hey, this week parents, we're praying for you, this and that, this is what we learned about. Or hey, at one time, at mealtime this week, whether it's in the car or it's at home, ask your kids this question based upon what we talked about this Sunday because what you are doing is you are handing parents something though it may seem small you are handing them something intentional that they can engage with their kids in an intentional spiritual conversation as opposed to just saying you know the most, the most famous question uh, church question that gets asked to kids on Sundays is what? What did you learn about? What did you learn about and what's the answer? Jesus. It's Jesus. <laughs> we have to move beyond that. We have to be more selective. We have to be more intentional. We have to look at our communication plan and say, is it relevant? And look at your repetition and look at it through the scope of not what is convenient for you. Look at it through the scope of what is happening in the life of our families. Not just through the year, but through the week and through the day. And what can we do? What can we create? What can we lean into to help support parents based upon 
what we are trying to teach their kids to do that. Okay? Cue Parents Weekly. Number four, resource parents to navigate critical issues. Resource parents to navigate critical issues. And here's what I would say to that. Last Tuesday at my son's school, we had what was called a parenting summit. And this was a chance. Uh, the school invited us, and they like talk about communication. They were very intentional about their conversation, far more than they were with a lot of other stuff that happens throughout the year. They're like, you need to come here. This is a parent-only event. This is no kids. We want to talk to you. We want to talk to you about school safety. We want to talk to you about technology issues. And we want to talk to you about mental health awareness as well. And I went, begrudgingly. I was like, ah, oh, I know this stuff. You know? And I went there, and there was the countywide school safety team. I didn't know we had this. Okay? <laughs> but we have a building dedicated to the safety of all of our public schools in our county, in Forsyth County, uh, where I live at. Team members, total five. They have televisions that would make any man envious for your man cave, right? <laughs> Screens. And they talked about and went through. We have cameras everywhere in the school, on the perimeter of the school. We are watching things, monitoring, so that if a fire alarm goes off, we pull up the school right here on this screen. That instantaneously triggers the fire department. We have this police officer who's just two miles away on site. Like, they went down the whole list, and I was just like, oh, wow. I didn't know this. And you know why they were talking about school safety, right? Because of the school shootings. And you had a lot of worried and concerned parents about well, what would happen. And there are a lot of what-if questions that the officer did an amazing job answering. At the end of the day, he couldn't guarantee anything. Of all the cameras we have and all the protocols they went through, at the end of the day, if somebody wants to get in here, he said, somebody's going to get in here. And you know what he said I found interesting? He said, I would, I would forego all the grant money that we get of all the cameras in all the schools and metal detectors that may be there. I would exchange it all for a parent who is engaged in their kid's life. And he said, you being here tonight is an indication that you are engaged. So he said, thank you and don't stop. Yeah, that interesting. We talk about technology issues. And I feel like my wife and I have like a good, you know, system set up in our house about technology usage and things that my kids can and can't do. I'm not, I'm not afraid about that. You know what I can't control? And what this officer reminds me we can't control? We can't control our kids. And the time of school, recess, on the bus, in the neighborhood. And we had one lady come up and she said, in preparation for our meeting tonight, I interviewed a handful of fifth graders to say, what would you say to your parents if you knew you wouldn't get in trouble? And she said, this is confidential. I'm not going to hold you accountable. This is mine. I was terrified as a parent to know that in an elementary school, third graders are receiving inappropriate images from other kids in school apps that they are on that allow you to do public gaming with anybody in the world. It's so great. It doesn't mean you connect with everybody. But there are back doors in all those games that allow people who don't need to be there. 
to a, a expose your kids to things they shouldn't, right? They had fifth graders saying, I have dummy accounts for other subscription services my parents have no idea about. Mm -hmm. Things that they were sharing, I was saying, good God, are you kidding me right now? Like, what are the parents? And I started going back into that, you know what? I don't believe the best about these parents. Are you kidding me right now? Like, you, and then I started to pull myself back. And I was like, okay, you know what? Maybe instead of focusing on what they are not doing, maybe as churches we need to start focusing on resourcing parents to help navigate critical issues. If the public school is doing this, my friends, you better be doing this as well, okay? And I know there are the critical conversations that we need to have that the church, like the, the big ones, the safe, not the safe ones, but the big ones that we all know, like, you know, there's the faith talk, and then there's the technology talk that we talk about, and, you know, there's, there's other things that we do, but I would just say resource parents with the things that they need to help to navigate critical issues, real life issues. And whether that is a physical resource center that you may have in your ministry area or it is a digital ministry resource center, whatever it may be, make sure you have resources on hand to give parents. And don't just resource them with safe issues, okay? Resource them for real life issues. Blended family issues, right? Alcohol issues, gender identity issues, cutting issues, anxiety issues. When we talked about the mental health awareness at the school, anxiety was the highest thing that they are seeing in the lives of our elementary age kids. Do you know why? Because of the pressure that is put on by parents or the pressure of school and the grades. My son this week is taking what is known as a milestone test, right? freaking them out, man. It's freaking me out, right? I got anxiety for my son who's having anxiety. And no matter what I tell him, I was like, listen, do your best. A score does not define who God made you to be. Okay? Just know that. But still, he has the pressure. And that anxiety builds up in them that leads them to have to release that, and they look for ways to release that through stupid stuff like Tide Pod whatever, or they're snorting this, and they're doing this, and they're making their own drugs. I was just like, oh, my. I left that meeting, and I went to Best Buy, and I bought Circle by Disney, which blocks out everything, and I was like, I'm, sh I'm shutting out the world, man. Like, <laughs> this is ridiculous. So as a church figure out also how you you need to make some really good friends in the counseling community in your community all right you need to have some counselors at you as a church that when families come to you and say we're having marriage problems we're having financial problems we're having problems drugs with our teenagers we're having anxiety issues we're having mental we don't know where else to go but we came here because that's just what it felt like we're supposed to do this is going to sound weird so just go with me Instead of just saying, I hear you, and we're praying for you. That you could also hand them off to somebody who could walk through these issues with them. Okay? All right. And five, invite parents to participate in shared experiences. Invite parents to participate in shared experiences. Um, I, I would say when it comes to faith, when, when a kid, here's what I would say, let me back this up. Look at the things that you do as a ministry already. And 
instead of looking at them and saying, oh, wasn't that just a great event or a great experience, look at that and say, could we, should we have tweaked that, changed that, rearranged that to make that more of a shared experience for the family yeah. instead of just the kid? And where this pops up more times than not with churches is when it comes to the issue of salvation. The easy thing to do, go with me here, hear the whole thing before you judge me, okay? So I know you're judging me. All right, so the easy thing to do is to stand up in a room full of kids, and my guess is your typical leader could persuade those kids to raise a hand to accept Christ. I'm just saying. As opposed to thinking about how do we maybe instead of us taking them across the finish line, how do we engage the family in this so that it's a family moment? Let me share with you a story. When I was in youth ministry, back to my 23-year-old self for a second, we would go to summer camp. And summer camp in student ministry a week's worth of camp, we would say, is worth a year's worth of ministry, yeah. right? Because of what you do, man, you have those, you know, late night worship sessions, you get around that campfire, and you just share your life, right? And you, you talk about God, you have amazing just encounters with God, and we would have a lot of decisions at camp, you, and a lot of re-decisions, like every year, it's like, come on, man, get together. <laughs> and part of my job was that I would always call the parents when a kid made a decision, and what was always popular at our, our summer camp was that you know every camp, every good camp has a pool, right? And so we would just go ahead and we would do a giant baptism because yes. as, as, a, as a middle school, high school student, why would you not? Because you got all your friends there, and then the tradition was when somebody goes under, everybody jumps in the pool, the big celebration, like where else are you gonna have like 200 people celebrating you, cheering you on, like you just get in the moment of things. And so I was always, part of my job was to call back home and say, you know, to let parents know what happened. And I would call back, and the people, the kids who came to camp, um, whose parents weren't involved in our church, like they were, you know, the friend of somebody, neighbor, or whatever, they just showed up, I don't know, they just showed up at camp, and they came forward, and they made a decision, and they got baptized, and we were like, man, that's so great, and I would call back home, like, hey, this is Mike from... You know, Discovery Church, I just want you to know that um, Johnny's here. He is. I was wondering where he's at. You know, so I'm like, that's not that. Um, <laughs> he's here. Sorry. I don't know if you know that. But uh, hey, listen, some exciting news. Johnny came forward last night and surrendered his life to Jesus and publicly professed him by getting baptized and made this big celebration. And it was awesome. And, and more often than not, on the other side of that conversation would be, he did what? He, he surrendered what? He got baptized. You, did, you put him in water? Like, is this a cult? Like, just no, no, frame, no frame of reference, friends. So when Johnny goes home and is excited about something that was life-changing for him, his parents have no context to help support him after the summer camp and the excitement and the 200 people cheering for you are gone and you go back into your life, right? The other end of that spectrum is that we would have somebody involved in our church who had been there for years, and they finally made a decision to cross the line of faith, and they got baptized, and I would call. These these calls were always great, because you know, you knew the kid, you knew the parent, they were a volunteer, they were, you know, invested in your church, 
They're like, hey, Susie, just want to let you know, listen, Danielle, she came forward last night. She gave her life to Christ. We celebrated. She got baptized. It was awesome. We were so excited. Susie, are you excited? More often than not, Susie would say, I am excited. I am so happy. I just wish I was there. And that made us rethink how we talk about salvation messages. Instead of doing it with parents out of the picture, what if we create an environment where parents and kids were together and we shared the message so that parents heard it, and instead of us saying, now everybody go with me and let's make this decision, we put it back in the hands of parents, even though they may be terrified, but they don't need to be terrified because we're not going to turn them loose and say, go figure out on your own. We put together a sheet, we put together a guide, and this is everything that you have to say, and if they say yes, you say this, if they say no, you say this, and then if at the end they want to say a prayer, here's the prayer, here's everything, because we want you to experience what it means to lead your child to Christ. Think about it in that way. Also, when it comes to critical conversations, with teenagers, it looks different. I know when it comes to shared family experiences with kids, it's a little bit easier to think about. But with teenagers, it's a little bit different. But when it comes to critical conversations that parents need to have, figure out how you can have a shared experience around that. There's a church in Indianapolis that, this is going to sound so weird, but it's been so effective for them. They invite, they have an event where fathers and sons, they come together. And it's in the fall time, because why fall? Fathers and sons, it's what season? Football season, right? And they talk about football. It's like an hour. It's like a two-hour event. And they do some football. I don't know if they watch a game or they show clips. They do stuff with games. And then they have a chili cook-off. And then it's called football, chili, and porn. And what they do is they have an event to bring fathers and sons together. Because football and chili, that's easy. But you know why you're here today, guys? It's because... We're going to talk about a real-life issue that's affecting all the men in this room. And we're going to intentionally end early because, Dad, we've given you this paper, this booklet, this whatever, this resource guide, and we have a couple of questions that we think is so important that don't feel like you have to leave. You can hang out and go in the car and do this, but we want you to start a conversation here tonight with your son. And it has been so effective for them. They also do an event for mothers and daughters. They do a mud run. They do a mud run, and they have fun. And at the end, they come together for a time of sharing, and they talk about what true beauty means and identity and self-worth. So think about the events that you do. And don't just do an event for an event's sake, friends. Do an event because it is strategic in your approach to connect with parents, okay? And we'll end with this, number six, elevate parents in every environment. Elevate parents in every environment. This, you know what this simply means? Is that every volunteer, whether they are a host person, a large group communicator, your small group leader, and in your branding and your marketing and whatever volunteer role, that they are for the parent. That they believe in the parent. That when we talked about the beginning, what my 23-year-old self thought, I didn't always believe the best about parents. If I could go back and change one other thing, and throughout my ministry, I would gather all my volunteers together, and I would say, listen, I know that every parent is not perfect, but I truly believe deep down in my heart that every parent wants to be a good parent, and every parent can do something more. And guess what? There probably will be a parent that is here today, and they're going to roll in 15 minutes late. 
and host person, when you have to tell them, you know, like, well, what do I do? Do we tell them that you can't come in here because it's after we have safety protocols and all this stuff. You go to the worship auditorium and here's a bag, you know, like with coloring sheets. <laughs> so here's what I would say to that host person. Just remember, mm -hmm. you don't know the other side of the story. Yeah. Right. And what you may not know is that person who rolls up late, it may be a single parent who has two kids that they are raising on their own with no support from the other spouse and no support from their family or network because of maybe dumb decisions that they made and they woke up this morning and they thought, you know what? I feel like I need to be here at church for whatever reason I can't explain. And everything was against them from coming here today, whether it was rain, whether it was traffic, whether it was ever. And so when they roll in here, don't automatically assume the worst to say, here comes another privileged parent. Roll in when they want to. You don't know the other side of the story. And so in every role, in every volunteer position, let me tell you what I promise you. I promise you we are going to be volunteers and we are going to be a ministry who is for every parent, not just in this church, but in this community. And we're not going to always get it right, but we're going to be for them. We're going to go whatever we can do to help them feel welcome in our ministry. So in all you do, elevate parents in every environment in your church. And so here's what I would say again. These six are not... The, 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 the final things, these are just to get the conversation going. There are more things that we could talk about, but I hope these encourage you to go back and look at everything and think about how you can help every parent win in your ministry. Thank you guys so much for hanging out. You guys enjoy.